Welcome to the 22nd episode of Tokenizing Everything, our weekly interview series with thought leaders in the blockchain industry. With me today is Stefan Arnold, blockchain lead at Helaba. We're talking about the role of banks in the token economy. Hey, Stefan, um, nice to have you here today. How are you? Hello, Nicolas. Nice to be here. I'm uh, happy to have this conversation now with you. Perfect. Before we dive into it, I have to mention that all opinions today are solely personal and do not reflect the opinion of Amazing Blocks, Hilaba, or any other involved parties. And specifically today are definitely not investment advice. <laughs> so, uh, Stefan, would you maybe just briefly start by introducing yourself, who you are, and um, you know what your current role is at Hilaba? Yes. Uh... I would really like to. Um, uh, my name is Stefan Arnold. I work at Hellabar in uh, the corporate development and digitalization department. I am responsible for basically all the DLT topics. Um, I work at Hellabar now for uh, a little bit more than three years. Before that, I started my career at Commerce Bank. I was there for seven years. And um, also in the digitalization department, uh, developing uh, client portals and then and moved into a more strategic role at, at Hilaba. Okay, very exciting. So you, you've experienced the, the, the banking sector in depth. So maybe could you give us some insights as to, to what actually interests you about this space and, and why did you decide to join it? Um, the banking space or the, uh, the blockchain space? First of all, the banking space. After that, I'll, I'll get to the blockchain space for sure. I think the banking space in general is like a, a really interesting space. Uh, the whole economy runs uh, only with banks today. Well, maybe some people in the crypto space would say they would like to change that. But um, I would say um, you need credits to, to run, the info, to run uh, companies, to develop products, um, to do payments and stuff like that. So that's something that really fascinates me. And it's uh, a business model, which has to be like, everything has to run stable. If, if you go to a shop and you cannot pay, and for example, um, it would be quite bad. So therefore these are topics which are important in the everyday life, which just needs to, to function. And I think they're uh, exciting uh, products which can be built in the infrastructure and therefore I uh, I enjoy working in that in that space. Yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of diverse you know applications and fields. Some people only see banks as uh, a place where you just withdraw your money, but there's a lot of more behind it, right? So uh, I'm sure it's a very exciting sector, right, to work in. So maybe now going back to the question also that uh, you referred to, what excites you about blockchain generally? And, and, and also maybe could you share some insights as to how did you actually enter this, this space? Because a lot of people always describe there was like a specific wow moment that really excited them and convinced them to, to go, go all in on blockchain. Well, um, at Commerce Bank, I was working in the in the digitalization department. We were basically developing client portals. When I changed over to Hilaba, it was more like looking at it from a strategic picture. And they said, asked me if I'm interested to take over the DLT initiatives, to have a look at the DLT initiatives, and uh, starting to look at it from a strategic perspective. What could a wholesale bank as Hilaba do with uh, with DLT, with the technology, what's the potential of the technology? And that's how I got involved. It's not that I had like the big 
maybe crypto moment with uh, Bitcoin and uh, started investing in the space. But it was basically just that somebody asked me if I wanted to take over um, uh, the strategic part of um, this technology and have a look at it. And I thought it would be really interesting. And since the beginning of working at Helaba, I'm involved into the blockchain initiatives on there for, um, and it evolved quite quickly from pilots now to uh, whole productive um, applications, which are running there. You see the whole involvement in the market. The space is like quite crazy out there. So therefore, uh, interesting times happening here. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, really what, what has been a trend throughout the past months, you know, maybe year, um, is, is that really institutions are now entering this market where people would, you know, initially had criticized banks and, and generally financial institutions to be too slow. But I think really now they're, they're definitely picking up steam. So could you maybe give us an update on the current status quo as to how you would describe, you know, how much or how far blockchain is, is in the banking sector in general? Well, I believe that blockchain is still still evolving. It's still quite a new technology. I, th I know that um, it started like 12 years ago with, uh, with Bitcoin, but since it entered like the, the corporate space, not much time has passed. And if you see the involvement of, more, uh, of a lot of technologies, then you see um, you have like a phase of enthusiasm where you think it can solve everything, every problem which ever happened in the world could be solved with a DLT. Well, we know right now that's not the case. But um, And now we're in a, in a phase, I think, of adoption that we say we see um, companies getting out of piloting phase, like doing real transactions, platforms which are moving towards the market, um, getting adoptions and... Um, you see quite quite a lot of stuff happening there and also that regulators are now discussing worldwide uh, digi the digital euro digital money in general cbdc's is um i think quite positive for the space that you can see things are evolving and all institutions not only banks and regulators are looking at this and um i think we will see in general with blockchain use cases uh, a big adaption which goes even further the next the next years yeah definitely you know very exciting um space to be in and um you know also happy to see that uh, established financial institutions are are you know not shying away from from this challenge of applying new technology but actually also you know focusing on it and and trying to implement it into their business models so in Germany, Helaba is, is quite a, a household name, right? And uh, I'm sure our German listeners will know about it. But uh, from our podcast, we also have a lot of international listeners. Would you maybe just provide a, a brief intro of what Helaba is, what the, the main focus of, of the business is, and um, yeah, maybe just an, an high-level overview of, of your, your current endeavors there? Yes. Uh, well, Helaba is one of uh, in Germany, so-called Landesbank or State Bank. We are um, owned by the Sparkassen, the savings banks in Germany, and also by the state of Hessen and Thuringen. We are a wholesale bank as, as the core bank, which means we only have clients 250 in revenue and above. Um, uh, we serve a lot of real estate clients and uh, do a lot of real estate, commercial real estate financing. So, um, yes, and we are what most people don't, don't know is like we are one of the biggest payment providers in, uh, in, Germany, in Germany and in Europe. 
like processing last year's 7.6 billion uh, transactions. So um, yes, th that is like the core bank, but part of the like whole Hela bar bank are also some smaller companies. Well, some some banks such as the Frankfurter Sparkasse or in short Frasbar, the people in, in Frankfurt will know it. Um, then we have the Frankfurter Bankgesellschaft with this wealth management um, bank. Um, then we have also include the State Development Bank for the state of Hessen, the WI Bank, VE Bank in, in, in German. We have an asset manager, which is under the roof of, of Helaba, which is called Helaba Invest. And then we also have like a project development company, which is called OFB. And um, furthermore, um, one more one more um, company, which is like a, one of the biggest flat providers in Germany, which is called GWH. So it's a, it's a huge variety of, of companies under the roof of, of Helaba. Okay, yeah, so, and I see, you know, how, how, how difficult it could be to, uh, especially in your role as blockchain lead to, to implement this technology in all these different aspects. So. What I know is that you worked on, on for instance, the trade, the D-Trade finance platform Marco Polo that's running on the Corda chain, also on another project called Finledger, if I'm correct. And, and, and obviously there's other endeavors within Helaba in regards to applying blockchain technology, right? Um, and, and maybe can you provide us some insights as to what the current projects are and how was the progress with these projects such as the Marco Polo, um, you know, one that I just mentioned, like just like a high level overview in regards to w what is the status here in, in, in within Helaba and maybe also in terms of the future plans here. Yes. Uh, maybe regarding Marco Polo. Marco Polo, most people only see it as a trade finance platform, but basically it's trade and working capital finance. What's working capital finance from, from a Helaba perspective, we are looking more at working capital finance, which means like buying receivables, supply chain finance, um, and moving forward with this topic. That means if you have, for example, you want to sell, you order somebody or something from you and you want to, to sell this receivable, we as Helaba would buy it. And that, that also in a, in a large, larger extent. Um, we're looking at it right now, like we have a, a pro, uh, our project is so far that we want to go into production, um, hopefully at the end of this year. Um, we're testing uh, the, in, uh, the product right now, and we're also looking at, at the trade finance initiative. Um, Marco Polo right now is quite developed, I think, as a member, member banks. We have like, I, have, I believe, 36 or 37 member banks which are part of, of Marco Polo, looking at a trade finance, uh, at the trade finance use case and also on the working capital finance use case. I believe, let's say the trade finance use case is a, is a use case with, with a lot of potentials. If you include like all the players on, on trade finance and you include them in the platform, you can make this process really efficient. And if you look at the um, trade finance space right now, it's a lot of the processes are still paper-based, are still running via fax machines, are running via paper. So I think the whole process, um, that, could, that could help the whole process in general. Um, what you have to look at the trade finance uh, platforms or general, in general at the blockchain space is that you need to have interoperability in between platforms because a trade finance platform will only work if you have your clients and they search for 
for their importers, which they're sending um, their goods to, and they find them on the platform and then it can, can arrange like um, a secure, securitization of, their, of, of the goods and of the payments. So I think there are many platforms have to work together because you have platforms in China and uh, Asia, you have platforms in the US. Um, so therefore there need to be an interoperability that these platforms can talk to each other so you can really push them into market and um, make, the, make the space even more efficient. That's, a, that's probably an advance that you have on the working capital side that you also can agree on smart contract on, you know, on a peer-to-peer -peer basis and then just process the, the smart contract based on the data which is on the platform. So I believe um, on, on the Marco Polo side, there's uh, a lot happening. Um, maybe internally, some people saw that we are also working on programmable money, programmable payments, like um, Helaba was part of the working group of the Deutsche Bundesbank, which published a white paper at the end of last year. Um, I think it was called uh, Programmable Payments and Programmable Money and Applications, um, where we had a look at how you can um, how you can use programmable payments and how you can also inter to connect um, maybe the current infrastructure um, in the payment system to the DLT space. So you can how can the DLT talk to to the payment systems, make payments uh, automatically, and also like um, move forward in the space that you say we have programmable payments, and then also having to look at the CBDCs and um, maybe uh, stable coins in between. Yeah, very interesting. And I think the, the topic of programmable money is really picking up steam as of lately, right? A lot of publications, a lot of, you know, people that are trying to, you know, push this topic as obviously some jurisdictions um, like China, you may like it or not, but uh, they're really doing a good job in terms of adopting um, this. And I think also with the upcoming Olympics and, and so on, they, they plan to integrate it. While other jurisdictions are like in Europe, they're, they're moving slowly, at least from the you know, institutional side. The private sector may be a bit more ahead, but um, you know, it's, so it's interesting to see that you guys are taking on a proactive stance here. So, so props to you guys at this stage. Maybe just there, um, a quick question from my side. Do you think programmable money in general will be more suitable for a private or a public chain? Because I know since you have experience with both sides, maybe you can share some insights in that regard. I think maybe maybe to start there, we should differentiate in between programmable payments and programmable money. Because what how we also mentioned in the paper is that basically programmable payments, you have like the trigger outside the, the coin, outside the token, that you say you, you trigger a payment and you say, well, you have if else then connect um, conditions and then from there on you trigger a payment. And I think basically that's what most users cases are looking on. They have these conditions within the smart contract and then they want to um, trigger a payment based on certain conditions. I think programmable money in general, if you say we're discussing it from, from if money has like an inherent logic which could be quite difficult because you're also talking how do you connect like different tokens which have like maybe limitations within themselves so that you say you have programmable money and you can only spend it for for books or for your solar panel or whatsoever does it have like an, an exchange course towards a, a token which does not have any limitations at all 
and it also might be in some use cases not feasible that you say you have limitations you have your wallet and uh, one part of the wallet you can only pay for books and the other part you can pay for whatever you want might not be feasible in a supermarket for example so therefore i think you have to look um what's what's what do you need programmable money for and what do you need programmable payments for and that could happen in the in the payment system um, with stable from a technology side also with stable coins or after all maybe with the digital euro if you trigger it from the outside if it will be able to trigger it from the outside maybe you you asked you asked regarding private coins just just to dig to private stable coins to dig in there i think um one thing that whole banking industry has is that the people trust in the industry they trust in the money and that is something and they trust that their data is protected so therefore if you would release like a stable coin from the whole banking industry which is also like private um then it might be that people use it but you also see that um you see the whole uh deem association working on stable coins um people might use it if they see if they if they see benefits in there if they see well i can transfer money to um to different countries would have a different currency because that's what they mostly are talking about they're talking about financial inclusion they're talking about talking about clients which maybe some some banks don't even aim so therefore i think in the part of sending money money to different countries and um uh, transacting with other continents that it it could be an interesting use case um for them and then also it all depends on trust it all depends on trust and if you see, look at stable coins right now if you look at usdt which has some trust issues um because you don't know how it was backed by fiat currencies um or if you look at other stable coins um you might see do i have the trust do they will it be accepted by all by all um companies will you be able to pay with that and i think that's an, an important issue that like the adoption if there's adoption for the stable coins then it might be might be an issue if there's no adoption or no trust then the people won't use it because you only use it you only use for example whatsapp because most of your friends use whatsapp and you can interact with them and you don't use um some messaging device where you cannot interact with um, somebody somebody else yeah exactly i think that's a good point everybody knows about the problems of whatsapp but they're still using it uh, at least most people because it's just uh, yeah the place where where you, you can connect the most easiest way probably or where most people are actually using so that's a, a great pain from, point from your side and i think also you know what you mentioned there will be probably all these different you know coins slash tokens existing that will be interoperable with each other and i think also basket tokens are, are quite interesting right indexing different assets together and having like a, a stable value through this so i think it's very exciting to see you know where this whole industry is going in terms of you know tokenizing all these different you know assets and and currencies so at this stage i would would like to pose the the being crypto special question from their community which we we asked to to our guests every week and this week's question was um, in regards to your case what could banks possibly tokenize and especially what is the most feasible use case for tokenization in, in regards from the perspective of of a bank so to say 
I think you always have to look at the perspective. What what kind of bank is it, and how do how do they have benefits? I think we're looking. We will look at and we're looking at a real estate tokenization since we're a huge commercial real estate financing uh, company. We see we're looking at where can benefits, uh, where do we have benefits? How come? How is the market reacting? And um, I think real estate is an interesting use case. Um, you also have have more other use cases. I think if you look at the whole. Um, alternative investment where you say it's illiquid it's currently you cannot trade it like for example art or old timers that's like from from my personal opinion I like old timers as use case because I say that something where also emotion gets in you look at maybe an old SL Mercedes SL and think maybe to own a port of that it would be would be great and maybe to also have like a component where you can use it maybe once or two twice a year um which could be an interesting use case but i see like from a token perspective that we say real estate is interesting and then maybe also like tokenizing stocks some someday i think you have to look at the regulations if the regulations permit um that you can tokenize stocks but you also have to have in mind that it needs to be a system which needs to be as effective as the system is of today. Um, if you say, for example, if you tokenize uh, to, um, stocks, for example, today, or if you tokenize um, some uh, real estate and you only have a primary platform where you issue the, the, the token and you can only exchange on this platform, then it's quite difficult for adoption. I think you need like the secondary market where you really can trade the assets where you really can move forward and where you can also settle like within a few minutes, within a few seconds if possible, and then you might get the benefits, benefits out of there. And I think the market is, is moving towards it. I think um, you see the, the primary platforms, there are a lot of them on the market right now, which are doing tokenizations. Uh, I think a lot of people know the issue that there's no real secondary market. People call it, I don't know how it is in English, but they call it like the secondary market right now. It looks like eBay finance again. So <laughs> yeah. where you just post it somewhere and somebody can buy it if they agree it, uh, agree on the price and there's not like no real market maker. But I think the secondary market needs to evolve. And um, for, for us as a bank, like we're looking clearly at... Um, typical project products which are right now in our portfolio which would be like stocks or real estate and um, but we also might have a look on the side to see which could be of potential interest for for our clients to evaluate um, the value which it has for our clients evaluate risk because as a bank we always have likely as a traditional bank such as we are we have to evaluate the risks which we have, um, but also like propose something to our clients which, which could interest them. And uh, this is what we are looking at right now at the use cases to see what pr provides the most value to our clients, um, which might, what might could diversify also our portfolio. And um, yeah, therefore we are looking at the whole token economy to see how it evolves, it's really interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. I was going to ask you about your 
favorite tokenization use case, but uh, now we know it, it's, it's classic cars, so very exciting. Um, it's also very one of the hottest use cases right in the tokenization sector right now. And I also fully agree with your aspect in regards to the secondary market, right? It's like a desert, at least currently in a security token space, I would say. If you look at the major platforms such as T0 or so on, I mean, they're, they're the biggest projects on that, they basically have a 24-hour trading volume of between 5 to 10 or 15 even K, which is really nothing, right? And that uh, kind of underlines the point that you made. So I think it, that this will probably be one of the biggest challenges that could also be something for, for banks to kind of, you know, solve. So maybe at this stage to the question, you know, which role will banks inherit in the in the future of the token economy as everything is going toward a, you know, so to say decentralized direction? Um, you know, someone had mentioned to me, you know, the way that banks are, especially the Sparkassen, for instance, are structured is already kind of decentralized. So, you know, maybe that, uh, you know, comes in handy for the banking sector, at least certain players in that space. But generally, how, where do you see that role? Is it, you know, the custody part or will there be, you know, custody in terms of, you know, self-custody that will be emerged? Is it cash on and off ramp? What is it to you that you think that uh, banks will, will have or which crucial role will they play in the future? I think that there will be, let, let's start on that side. There will be still a role for banks. Um, uh, I think what, what I mentioned before is that trust is like a big, big issue that you say you have to trust. Like if you want to have real adoption, then, then you need to trust in topics. And I think there are a lot of things people criticize on the current banking system, but it's some, a lot of things are working quite fine. If you have a problem, usually on the banking system, it gets solved. If you send something on, on if you send your coins to the uh, incorrect wallet, they're gone. You, you cannot uh, have any reclamation and uh, get your coins back. It's just it's just not possible. Maybe if you send it on some kind of exchange in the other wallet is on an exchange, it's possible. If you send it uh, to the wrong address, to the wrong uh, account number, usually you have a possibility to get, you, to get your money back. So therefore I believe also on the, on the role, let's say on the, on the custody side, if you say uh, as a private uh, investor, I might trust like the startups with my money. I put uh, maybe 10, 15,000 euros there in tokens and, I'd, uh, and uh, they have a startup. But if you have like big corporates, they usually want also have the security. If they put, put their money somewhere and have, hold, have somebody hold custody of um, token and um, other um, maybe digital securities, for example, then they want to be secure that when they want to access their securities, they're still there. They always can access their securities. If they lose their private key, it's possible to recover that. So that's, I think, a very important issue um, on the custody side. And I think also like what banks can do is maybe help with the tokenization part because it's like, it's often to decide whether you need debt, whether you need your own capital, um, and how you can design maybe a token that that could be a part which banks could also play a role. And as I said, on for us on the payment side, uh, like as one of the biggest payment providers, we can we can help process the payments. If you settle how to settle the payments, 
Also, if, we, if we're talking about securities delivery, delivery versus payment, you settled on an instant payment side, you also be able to settle within 10 to 20 seconds. So it's basically not from the definition delivery versus payment in real time, but it's like close to real time. So there will be different roles which banks can take part in. And um, I think we will see the, the market evolve and also more and more banks getting into it. Yeah, I think banks can really be kind of also a bridge, you know, between, you know, the, the blockchain space, the DeFi space and, and people that, you know, are not experts on that field as, as maybe we are and that, that have no knowledge really how to utilize these, these tools, right? And banks can really be that intermediary, you know, kind of continuing their role as the intermediary and also a safeguard and then providing an intuitive user interface to leverage it. Because as we all know, it's quite difficult these days sometimes when you have 10 plus exchange accounts and uh, uh, two or three cold wallets and then the non-custodial wallets, the warm wallets such as Metamask and so on. So it's kind of very, you know, um, I would say fragmented space or really you know hard to cope with all these different platforms where you have the tokens and therefore maybe this could be a good role for banks to kind of step in and at least help people that do not want to deal with all this um you know maybe as the crypto nerds want to do at this stage maybe a, a brief question you know since it's a, a hot topic these days nfts do you guys look into nfts do you particularly think nfts could be an, an interesting investment for your clients or do you rather stay away from this well um let's say we're a wholesale bank so i think nfts and some some parts are well let's say uh an investment uh, which which could be interesting and also like you see people nowadays investing in digital sneakers or investing in like the painting of people is probably the, the most famous NFT, which, which went out there and which is just like digitally. So um, I think you have to look at different industries. I, if, if you look, for example, at the gaming industry, like uh, digital assets, which you have like trading sports in games, uh, like are going on now for forever, like trading on eBay or whatsoever. So. Um, I think for the gaming industry, it's like quite an interesting use case. But if you're also looking like maybe on, on, on rights, on rights on music, rights on articles, books or whatsoever, it could be an interesting use case um, regarding that you also uh, maybe on, on further, um, if they sell it further or if you participate on, on certain kind of things, which, which could be interesting. I think right now you see a hype like everybody's creating an nft you see a market which is quite quite un currently quite unregulated i think it will be regulated also soon what when you see a market is regulating uh, that's normally like part of the adoption and it's also for the security of of the clients let's say that's also they're investing in something which might might be worth it and um let, let's say it's not the hot topic on, on, on the Halaba side since it's, we have the big clients and it's normally not their typical investment to invest in NFTs. But like from a personal uh, perspective, I have a look at it to see how it evolves. And if we see that there might be a use case, like, like I said before, which is good for our clients, which does not have that much risk, we might have a look into it. 
Yeah, very exciting. I think um, one thing you mentioned, the legal compliance of it is, is something that um, I find personally also quite, quite challenging, you know, because we're talking about sometimes intellectual property and, and you cannot just issue a, randomly a token and say, okay, this is the IP of, of, of that asset, right? So, so it's quite a difficult topic where I think, and this may be a bit biased, but, you know, the token container model developed in Liechtenstein could, for instance, be a good, you know, model to look at when in regards to having that compliance in place, especially for NFTs as well. But yeah, we, I guess we'll see how, how this will play out. So as we're, we're coming to the end of the conversation, one thing I, I always ask, um, you know, my guests, and uh, I know you cannot give a, a definite answer to this, of course, uh, but it's just always interesting to see the different perspectives and the different answers to this. So where do you see blockchain in general in 10 years from now? Blockchain, well, blockchain, or the, let's say, let's more likely talk about DLT. Because, yeah. um, uh, I think you will see more use cases. You will see more adaption on token space. You will for sure see secondary markets. Um, you will have more regulations in place, which might also allow it to easier trade on secondary markets. And um, I think... Uh, we might be we might be surprised. There might be some use cases we don't even think about yet, like the NFT use case. Somebody, if you ask somebody two years ago, probably not a lot of people would have thought about this use case. Um, but I think there will be the whole um, industry will mature. You will see use cases. You will see a lot of uh, productive applications, and um, maybe uh, some some more more use cases moving towards a blockchain and you will see also a lot cheaper technology than it is today right now you see like at the beginning as well as like really really expensive and now the use cases are getting cheaper and cheaper as the technology involves and i think that is something which always happens and i think that is something which which will move forward and i think it's it will be a, an even a more more likely a bigger ecosystem on the technology side that you have a lot of use cases which evolve from there. Yeah, so I think that was a, a great closing statement. You know, as you mentioned correctly, I think uh, blockchain in order to really come to fruition has to be more efficient and also cost effective. And hence, you know, I think, um, yeah, we are, we're definitely on the right path here, especially now with, with established institutions and experts like you, joining the space and, and and also maybe you know making it mainstream um, step by step so so again props to you for for taking that active stance and uh, it was a, a great conversation you know amazing insights no pun intended and um yeah i'm looking forward forward to to seeing what's happening at helava and in regards to this so pleasure to have you today stefan and um have a great weekend it was my pleasure have a great weekend Thank you. And to our listeners, um, to our live listeners and to our, you know, watchers on YouTube, as always, it's a pleasure to, to, you know, have you or to have you watch or listen to the episode. If you have any questions, I'm sure um, Stefan will, will be more than happy to answer. So feel free to reach out to him. If you have questions in regards to amazing blocks or tokenization, as always, feel free to reach out to me. And um, otherwise, I would say see you guys next week. And um, yeah, have a great weekend.